0: Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithal. Wellwithal believes that self-care is community care, premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithal's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly well with all. Under the radar to me means authenticity, not being filtered.
1: It's a window in on the local stories that touch our lives. And there's a huge void in the traditional media covering these new faces of Boston. You may not be looking for a particular story, but when you hear about it, you're engaged. Under the Radar means ahead of
2: the curve.
0: It's also perspectives. How does this particular story
2: affect a community or a neighborhood? I'm Callie Crossley. This week, Under the Radar, our annual tribute to quirky and cool holiday music. No simple silver bells or tired this Christmas for us. Nope, we've got a poppin' playlist, including Santa Claus is Watching You, My Christmas, and There's Something Stuck Up the Chimney. Take a listen as we dig into the Santa's bag of twisted tunes, corny compositions, and vintage vibes collected by WGBH's own Mike Wilkins. Later in the show, it's our latest edition of Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. Wellesley native Cara Nicoletti joins us to talk about her delicious book, Voracious. But first, WGBH engineer Mike Wilkins is here with his latest edition of his annual holiday music collection. Last year, we celebrated Mike's 25th year as an intrepid collector, but it's back to the future now as Mike brings us selections from his very first curated holiday CD, appropriately titled Hark! The Archived Angels Sing, Christmas 1990. Welcome back, Mike.
3: Glad to be here. (laughs) Glad to be here, Kelly. So...
2: Your first curated CD, nineteen ninety, and you just said, "Hey, I'm going to do this thing." Well,
3: right, I was. I, I was. Uh, well, it was actually a gift for some friends and family at the time. I was a broke uh, DJ. I mean, you know, it's we don't make a ton of money, <laughs> but we have a lot of fun. And uh, and I was looking around the studio. How am I going to put together a gift for some friends? And there was a lot of Christmas stuff available but we weren 't it wasn 't being played on the air for one reason or another, and i thought well let 's make kind of a quirky little uh, cassette back then mixtapes it was a cassette that i I gave out to five people. That was it. This was before it was ever a thing. I never thought it would expl- I would be here twenty six years <laughs> later, telling you, "Oh yeah, I'm all about Christmas music." I ne- it was not a thought. So um, this year, uh, just because I thought it would only five people had ever heard it, I thought, "Well, let's like you said, back to the future. Let's explore it." Yeah.
2: Well, here's one of my favorites from the weird song collection. That's what I call it. I just sort of categorize them myself. <laughs> There's accurate. something stuck up the chimney. Love that! So let's hear a little bit of it. There's something stuck up in the chimney, and I don't know what it is, but it's been there all night long. Well, I waited up for Santa all Christmas
1: night, but he never came, and it don't seem right that
2: there's something in the chimney, and it doesn't make a sound, but. Okay, so that one sounds like a kid singing, um, but it's the Bob Rivers comedy troupe?
3: Right. <laughs> so so th- this first year I uh, relied heavily on just a couple of records that were kicking around, and Bob Rivers had put out a, uh, a great compilation of uh, a parody Christmas songs, and this is one of them, uh, the Christmas, uh, the chimney song, uh, something stuck up in the chimney, and it's, uh, you know, hey, there's this thing that's been making this noise in the chimney, Santa never came, I wonder what could be up there, and it's, it is it uh, is not a child, but it, it's, it's just a funny little bit of business. Well, another
2: funny one who's, uh, that's also weird is Woodolph, the oh. petrified red-nosed no. reindeer, and no. this is by Bill and Shakey, let's take a listen. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Petrified red-nosed reindeer brings happiness where he goes. Wood off the petrified red-nosed reindeer, has a light buff on his nose. Where do you put old Wood off, well, that is where he'll stay. And he'll guide old Santa To your house on Christmas Day. Wood off the petrified red-nosed <laughs>
2: I love this one Mike <laughs> and I never even recognized well, the fact that it was country it well just, I just went with it. it's just
3: as <laughs> great and it's it's they're talking about the, uh, the 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 wood the sculptures that people put on the, on their uh, lawns basically made out of uh, a tree uh, log and some limbs and a, an electric red bulb in its nose and that's uh wood off the the electrified electrified petrified uh, reindeer they say it in one lyric and uh, you know earlier before we actually went on here you mentioned you said is there was there one song that mm-hmm. really started all this and I, I was like no not really but i think this is the one that caught my eye it was in this kind of neat little picture sleeve and the vinyl was red it's just a 45 mm-hmm. and um I just thought this is really kind of cool. And so I enjoy playing that. It's uh, That's Bill and Shaky. That's Bill uh, Hendren and uh, Richard Fife. And um, Bill is a member of the old time Country Music Hall of Fame. Wow. And um, Richard, a Shaky Texan Fife, uh, is also very involved in, in country music, and they're both playing out. But there's not really. Um, much else that they've done. That's this is this is their only recording. Hey, you
2: only need one big hit. That's, that's what I say. <laughs> it, do, it does get
3: played. Uh, what only I thought, here? <laughs> yeah,
2: I thought it was. Oh well, that's all right. Was, hey, great, great for under the radar. Um, I thought it was interesting that you had some songs on this list that had kind of a hip hop feel. And I mm. was trying to remember in 1990, I guess um, there was a lot of hip hop stuff going on. Uh, people may know the group Tony, 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 and I like this one called My Christmas.
1: Now Now, come on girl, I wanna trim your tree. (music)
2: It did was adapt one of their famous songs, exactly. and I can't re- and just
3: put exactly. a little Christmas theme. And on this, it. Was the 19th, this was the 19, this is 1990, 89, <laughs> 90, when uh, you could put all sorts of uh, clips and samples in, and you didn't have to really clear the rights because people weren't used to that yet and yeah. you didn't get sued for doing it so it starts off actually with a, a little clip from a, an old uh a 40s uh uh Christmas song and then you hear a little of Rudolph from the animated series in there and then they go on and they uh, they uh Christmas eyes, one of their uh, their tracks.
2: I wonder how that did because I, you know, I, honestly, I had never heard as many things that you bring to me. I've never heard before. I'd never heard that. It's one a before.
3: lot of fun, and I wish it would get played a lot more. Actually, and it that's is. the idea behind the compilation here every year: is stuff that you don't normally hear when you're walking through. You don't hear um, it at all. The malls. <laughs> I love it. I like also. Um, Santa
2: Claus is watching you. Oh, uh, uh, Stevens, that's a weird yeah. song by Ray Stevens. Love, love, love this. I think this yeah. may be one of my favorites. Yeah,
3: here's the guy <laughs> who brought us the Streak, and now it's uh, you know <laughs> he's he's you know put a little twist, a little different twist on Santa Claus is watching you.
2: Let's take a listen.
3: NSA kind of stuff. <laughs>
2: Now,
1: baby, doll, sweetie pie, sugar, plum, honey, bunny, angel face, you know you better be good. And act like true fine love sure should. Be careful what you say and do. Because Santa Claus is watching you. He's everywhere! He's everywhere! You better kiss me and hold me tight. And give me good loving every night. Cause you'll be sorry if you made me blue very close is watching you. He's everywhere. <laughs> he's
2: like I man. love that one. I just love that one. It's one of my favorites, Mike.
3: It's got a good beat to it, and he's fun with it. It's a, I, yeah, it's a I love
2: it. Man. Now, what about Ray Stevens? I noticed a couple times on your list. Who is he again?
3: Now, so um, just another uh, prolific, uh, well, you know, kind of a comedic um, songwriter. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, he did the... Uh, when was the, the you know oh yes they call him the streak back hmm. when people there was that streaking phase some of you may when people not were be running all around naked remember. yeah yeah. yeah. So, yeah. but um, you know uh, he he's a he's a, a writer songwriter but um, I'm not sure what he's doing these days but.
2: Hmm. But he's got this for all time, Here's for all hoping. of us. There's a
3: royalty check that comes to him every <laughs> I year.
2: I know. Now, you know, something else I always appreciate from your list are that people who take very familiar songs and put a real crazy twist. So, of course, we have Oh, Come All You Deadheads. Right. So, <laughs> again,
3: from the Bob Rivers Comedy Corp. Yes. Uh Again, it's just this great little uh, twist on it. Uh, the, the, the 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 music's familiar, but the um, the words are a little different. All right. Let's take a listen.
2: O oh, come, all ye grateful, dead heads to the
1: concert, O oh, calm. See the Lord.
2: Okay, that is no. Everybody knows that the Grateful Dead uh, yeah. fans are really quite faithful.
3: That's and that's and if it wasn't, and that's why the words. What makes it so funny is like, oh yeah, this they nailed it. This is here. You know, don't wash your feet is the (laughs) words going on right now. So it's kind of (laughs) like.
2: It's so crazy. Um, Here's another weird song I like. The Rusty Chevrolet, which doesn't seem as though it would be a Christmas song, but yet it is. By
3: Diupers. And who are they? And they're from. um, So Diupers are from the Upper Peninsula of uh, Michigan. So the UP Mm -hmm. uh, is often called. The Upers, oh, the Upers, the okay. UP of Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and uh, they even have a they have a, a tourist uh, they have a store up and a store slash um, museum up there in uh, I forget the city exactly called the tourist trap the, the Upers uh, tourist trap. But anyway, this was Rusty uh, Chevrolet. Okay, off let's, of hear, one of their let's, Christmas, let's listen. Uh, CDs, yeah.
1: Come on, come on. <laughs>
3: This is me Ah, every winter, right here.
1: All right! (laughs) Dashing through the snow in my rusty Chevrolet Down the road I go, sliding all the way I need new piston rings, I need some new snow tires My car is held together by a piece of chicken wire. Oh, rust and smoke, the heater's broke, the door just blew away. I light a match to see the dash, and then I start to pray. The frame is bent, the muffler went, the radio, it's okay. Oh, what fun it is to drive this rusty Chevrolet. <laughs> I love
2: this. I, I never heard After this before.
1: After all of
3: that stuff, the radio is okay, and that's all that matters. So. <laughs>
2: exactly. And it, i I got to say, it sounds like it could be happening right here in New England. Absolutely. Uh, that little adventure of yeah. his, that's a daily... Prayerful kind of journey for all of us trying so to get those cars started. These were all <laughs> uh,
3: compiled. I did this in 1990, so that was a 1987 uh, tune. Oh, okay. So that you know, if they seem a little dated, but hopefully they. Don't oh
2: no, get- I love it. Um, let me remind our listeners that I am Callie Crossley, and we are under the radar, and you are Mike Wilkins, audio engineer for WGBH's The World. That's your uh, program and your profession, but by avocation, you're a collector of unusual or little-known holiday music, which is our delight every year to bring to the -the under-the-radar listeners because they're just so much fun. You know, some of the ones that you also pulled that I may not have heard but Mm. I enjoy are the kind of jazzy tunes one. So here's Jingle Bell by – Jingle Bell Rock by – Herb Albert and Oh yeah. Uh, that's is, a good jazz starts
3: group. off this starts off with the uh, C D it's got some good energy to it.
2: Yeah, let's take listen to that one. let that play, I, I'd like to you to tell people again what excites you about doing this collection, which you do all year.
3: Yeah, this year I um, things got a little bit busy and I didn't get into it as much as I want to, but uh, it's looking for the rarities. It's looking for the one-offs, and um, I'll go through bargain bins, uh, no matter what city I'm in. I'm going. I went to visit my mother in St. Saint, uh, St. Saint Louis over Thanksgiving, and I hit uh, about five thrift stores and went through all sorts of uh, record bins. And 45s are where it really seems to happen—the magic, because uh, people could afford to put out um, some 45s. In fact, in in this list, there are a couple, um, you know. Uh, private label issues they could rustle up a couple dollars for a recording session and put out a 45 and but the the passion is it's just it's just it the real result is that i put a smile on people's <laughs> yes, faces <I> it. <laughs> and it 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 has become a thing and i uh, that's the uh, gift i love i love that gift
2: and now i'm wondering because as people purging homes and moving you know to the next chapter of their lives you you can't give up going into some stores you may have already been to because you there's oh, new stuff absolutely, right absolutely yeah.
3: everybody and you know there's always been a talk for the past oh, five, seven years about the resurgence of vinyl but it's not just vinyl it's cassettes even CDs they're out of print CDs already because and people have given up their CD collections because everything is MP3 file but that's why I make a CD I made cassettes early on because I like the tactile thing I like the act of giving um, and I get some of my friends involved sometimes in cover art and that kind of thing so it's, it's um, but yeah you have to keep going back to those thrift stores to your re- favorite record stores and your favorite record store people will oh, learn look to know you, you yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and they'll yeah. hold yeah. stuff back and they'll be like, oh, Mike wants this. Or I wonder if Mike has that.
2: So, If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar. I'm Callie Crossley here with WGBH engineer Mike Wilkins, who is known for his annual quirky Christmas <laughs> holiday music collection. This is his 26th year. And this year he went Back to the Future to his very first collection which he curated in 1990 and it's entitled Hark! The Archived Angels Sing. So let's hear a little bit more music because of course I love all of this stuff. Um, Mm. How about I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Oh, this, <laughs> I love this. Talk yeah. about your quirky tune. Yeah, this is a great <laughs> acapella
3: track. And believe it or not, because of of things, the way things went down, I don't have the master oh. of this uh, of this um, uh, compilation anymore. And I couldn't find a full. I never. I didn't even do a track listing. Okay. I had to do some of this from memory, uh, some of this from getting on the web and that kind of stuff. I don't know who these guys are, oh. but it's four four guys and they acapella and it sounds great
2: well uh, we're gonna take a listen and if anybody listening knows yeah please. uh please write in let yeah us know. get on yeah, the fa- yeah, uh, yeah. get on
3: the website and let us know it kind of starts off with their names and uh, talking about what they're getting for Christmas uh, so maybe that's a giveaway for somebody so hopefully listen, we'll
2: listen okay right here now. we go
1: Hey, Yo, what's hey, what's, happy birthday? Happy birthday. what's up? Oh, right, hey, guys? Merry Christmas, everybody. you doing? Hey, Steve, what you get for Christmas, man? Oh, man, my girl bought me this beautiful cashmere sweater, man. I'm in love with it already. What you get, man? Man, I got a gold watchman with diamonds all around it. I hey, ain't saying that I got me a fresh pair of lizard boots. Ooh-wee! I hear man. that. Hey, T.C., what did you get? Yo, man, I didn't get Nothing? Nothing? nothing. I'm getting nothing for Christmas Mommy and Daddy are mad I'm getting nothing for Christmas I ain't been nothing but bad Put a tack in teacher's chair. And somebody snitched on me. I tied a knot in Susie's hair. Somebody snitched on me. I feel the sugar bowl with hands. I climbed the tree and tore my pants. I wanna go home, but now I can't Cause somebody oh. snitched on me. Oh,
2: I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Mommy.
3: <laughs> I'm getting nothing for Christmas, but not for any of those reasons. That's for
2: sure. I love this. It just When you talk about a different take, that is a different take. You know, some of the uh, familiar songs also have not quite a political, but a tiny bit of a sort of currency to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so the song Happy Christmas, the War is Over uh, from your list. Right. Um, the Alarm
3: did that. This yeah. is um, the... Um, this was off of a um, this was off of uh, an album, but uh, the song, of course, is in 1971, John uh, and Yoko. Um, but this is uh, the alarm was a uh, from their were Welsh alternative rock band and um, formed in '81. and so this is yeah, it, this is uh, just a different version of that I really like it.
2: All right, here it is. Oh this is Christmas
3: And
1: what have you done? Another year over A new one just begun So this is Christmas I hope you have fun The near and the dear ones The old and the young And so this is Christmas For rich and for poor ones The road is so long And so happy Christmas And a happy new year Let's hope it's a good one Without
2: I think that's probably a good one to go out it on. It
3: is <laughs> remarkable how timeless this is. Isn't it? And uh, it just <laughs> yeah. it, it's just, yeah, it's very thought-provoking, and it's uh, beautiful, and here's hoping.
2: Yes, and it's uh, really appropriate this year um, as we look back. Mike Wilkins is always a joy. <laughs> this makes my Thank happy you. Christmas oh. when you come in with your collection, <laughs> and I love it that it's archived and yet still new and fresh to all of us. So thank you very much for joining us. My
3: pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you.
2: All right. Mike Wilkins is an audio engineer for WGBH's The World Program by profession and by avocation a collector of unusual or little-known holiday music. This is his 26th year, and the title of this collection, Hark! The Archived Angels Sing, Christmas 1990. All right. Coming up, she's a butcher, a baker, and a writer, Cara Nicoletti got her first food inspiration in her grandfather's Boston butcher shop. As a child, she also fed her curiosity through books, especially stirred by the description of the meals and feasts. Now culinary professional and author Cara Nicoletti takes readers on a nostalgic tasting tour of good food and good books in her first book, Voracious. It's the latest edition of Bookmarked, the Under the Radar book club. You're listening to Under the Radar. Under the Radar. I'm Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lagnap. That's Creole for something extra. In her Eat the Page memoir, Voracious, a hungry reader cooks her way through great books. Cara Nicoletti whips up recipes inspired by special books and fond memories from the rustic fare in Little House on the Prairie to modern dishes in the corrections to the not so simple hot fudge Sunday of her Boston childhood. Cara Nicoletti's Voracious takes readers on a gastronomic journey of good eats and good times. It is also our latest offering in our series, Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. And Cara Nicoletti joins me on the phone from New York. Welcome.
0: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
2: Well, I'm excited to talk to you because I love this book. Oh, good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So let's start this way. Have you always been a hungry reader? I think so, yeah. I I was actually really surprised when I uh, was researching for the book. I went home and looked at some of my books from when I was a kid, and a lot of them had um, markups in the food sections of of the books. Um, I think it's been something that I was sort of obsessed with since I was a kid. I wonder why that is, because
2: I'm a big reader. We, In fact, we have so many connections, I can't even begin yeah. to tell you.
0: <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh,
2: <laughs> and I was a big reader, too, but I, as I read your book, I thought, every now and then I noticed the food, but not yeah. often.
0: Yeah. Well, I think I think it was I was really, really shy and I connected really deeply to the characters I was reading about and I wanted them to feel real. Um, and I think eating is a really easy way to make something feel more tactile and more real. Um, so I wanted to eat the things that my favorite characters were eating. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. we should say that this book grew
2: out of a blog that you created, which grew out of something else, a supper club.
0: So tell us about that. Well, it originally started as a book club, just a regular book club. And my friends would come over um, to my house when we were finished reading a book. And I would make something from that book to eat while we were talking about it. And they said, this is a really good idea. And it was, I think, 2008. And everyone in Brooklyn had a supper club in their apartment. It was like a really hot thing that everyone was doing. And um, so I turned it into a supper club, a literary supper club, and would invite people to come eat literary meals. And it took off. People were really interested in it, and I couldn't keep up with it. So I turned it into a blog, which eventually turned into this book.
2: We should say that uh, sometimes book clubs have foods directly from the book. So somebody says they ate crackers and cheese, and so they'll Mm -hmm. serve crackers and cheese. But what you did was more than that. You're inspired by, sometimes you may create something quite similar, but other times you may take off from that.
0: Yeah. I when when the blog first started I was I wanted to stick really closely to exactly what um they were eating in the book but that can be really limiting because sometimes a scene will be about go on and on and on about a lemon or something like that and it's it's poignant but I can't give you a recipe for a lemon so you turn that into something else um and that actually once I sort of let myself go and and create things um, not as closely, just in the text of the book. I started having a lot more fun because no, I really like creating the, recipes too. Oh
2: yeah, well because yeah. that that's that was what I was about to say is that you are a chef, a cook. Um, you did pastry for a while, and now you're a butcher in uh, a Brooklyn shop called the Meat Hook. So you really are know your way around food, and you're a foodie on top of that. So that makes it extra. Special, but what I didn't realize, and you meet you mentioned in your book, and actually, I'd love you to read this excerpt. Uh, this is the page uh, one thirty-five. One is mm-hmm. that there's a real connection, even with other kitchen workers and chefs in um, in the kitchen with books.
0: Yeah, um, I think I think um, especially my generation, a lot of us graduated. I mean, I graduated in two thousand and eight, and everything sort of had bottomed out um, economy-wise. So there were a lot of uh, English lit majors and humanities majors that uh, couldn 't find writing work and ended up in kitchens ended up you know, trying to figure out what to do with their hands so i 'm not sure it's all it 's always been like this. I think there is an, a connection between cooking and reading, but um certainly it was something that I encountered working in kitchens. Would you read that section? Sure. When I started working in restaurants as a student at NYU, I assumed that my two lives, my life studying English and Latin, and my life making and serving food, would be totally separate. I never expected that so much of my time in the kitchen would be spent talking to my coworkers about literature. Kitchens are physical places, and all of that chopping, sweating, tasting, poking, and bumping into each other naturally leads to a lot of body, mindless chatter. In between all of the nasty jokes and posturing, though, in the quiet, reflective moments that kitchen work can also bring, we talked about books. Of all the books I talked about in kitchens over the years, the one that came up most often was George Orwell's Down and Out in Paris and London. I had read 1984 in Animal Farm in high school, neither of which was particularly life-altering for me. But when Morgan, one of my favorite cooks, told me that Down and Out was, one, was the reason he first decided to set foot in a per- professional kitchen, I finally sat down to read it. The thought of someone... Pursuing kitchen work because of this book still baffles me. Orwell's account of his backbreaking 18-hour days for pitiable pay is nearly unbearable at times. But I can certainly understand why someone accustomed to working in kitchens would love it. Orwell's description of the frantic exhilaration of a dinner rush, of the feeling of emerging from the hatch into the cool night air after a 14-hour shift, of the camaraderie that exists between unlikely people in a kitchen, and the satisfaction of a post-dinner service drink, these are all spot on. Orwell is young and hungry, and like so many of the people I worked with over the years, he's cooking as a way to get by and loving it.
2: So I just thought, well, that's a really great way of sort of bringing together your two loves and explaining, you know, what happens in, your, uh, in the kitchen as well, which yeah. I, I just never thought about people thinking about books as they read. By the way, in that down-and-out uh in Paris and London chapter, mm-hmm. the recipe that you paired with that is a, for a ribeye steak, and you say yeah. it's one of your favorites. Well, it's my favorite because I got I it from think... my dad. He oh loved
0: yeah, it. it's <laughs> yes. the best. It's the best cut. It really is. It really um, is. <laughs> it's it's flavorful because it's like up near the shoulder and it's gotten some work, but it's tender because it's in the middle. It's just perfect. Okay, and I so like that too. Exactly. And I, I wanted to uh,
2: tell our listeners, there you have it, from a butcher who knows <laughs> what she's talking about. And this is Cara Nicoletti, who's the author of Voracious, A Hungry Reader Cooks Her Way Through Great Books, the latest offering in our series, *Bookmark the Under the Radar Book Club. So here's another connection we share. You say that growing up, your, your dad always had to have pasta on the table. I don't care what your mother prepared. In my yeah. house, for my dad, it was rice. I thought, oh. oh, my God, I almost screamed out loud when I read this. (laughs)
0: That's so funny. Maybe it's just a dad thing. (laughs) I don't know what it is, but
2: everybody thought it was weird. Another connection, uh, your book is divided into three parts, childhood, adolescence, and college. And you go back through books that you enjoyed during childhood and adolescence and college and pair recipes accordingly. And, of course, Little House on the Prairie. Are you kidding Mm. me? One (laughs) of my
0: favorites. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was really a pivotal book for a lot of kids. And I just
2: loved all of the descriptions. Now, that's one that I did remember, the food, because I'm mm-hmm. from the South. Mm-hmm. Um, and they talked a lot about corn mush. And, of course, for us, that's grits and corn mm-hmm. pone, that's cornbread. So it was very, very relatable to me. But in general, I, I was aware of the food being mentioned in that book.
0: Yeah, th- I think a lot of people, That's the even if they didn't notice uh, a lot of food scenes in books, th- that's one that they always remember. A lot of people remember um, the, a lot of people remember the pig bladder being turned into a balloon. Which oh, yeah, that. I know, also I,
2: remember. <laughs> well, see, now there's the butcher part of you coming in yeah. again. I think I pushed that back in the back of my <laughs> my memory. Now, so for many who don't know, uh, you grew up in Fall River, Massachusetts. Uh, we try up- here on Bookmark to find authors who have a connection uh, locally. And uh, you mentioned many interesting food experiences just going with your grandfather
0: to a diner, hanging out there. Talk about that a little bit, if you would. Well, I actually grew up in Wellesley, Massachusetts. Wellesley, sorry. Um, but, yeah. my, but my dad grew up in Fall River. Right. Um, and my grandpa uh, and great-grandpa had a butcher shop in Newton, Massachusetts. Um, it actually started, at, the butcher shop started in the north end of Boston and then um, had a second location in Newton. So I spent a lot of time there growing up, doing my homework after school um, in the butcher shop. And... Um, Rhode Island also, we spent a lot of time in Rhode Island because my dad had uh, a lot of really great food memories from that particular place, which I don't think people think of Rhode Island as being a culinary destination, but... I would argue well, that Italian it is. Well, Italian food, yeah. I've yeah, Italian so. food, and yeah, there's really yeah. great Portuguese yeah. food um, yes. in Fall River. And uh, we would go to this diner called the Night Owl, which was like an Airstream trailer, and we'd get these sandwiches called a hot cheese that was like cheese curds and green relish and hot mustard and raw onions in like a buttered hamburger bun. It was so good. I still think about it all the time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Does it still? Is it still around, the diner?
0: It's, the actual structure is still there, and it's sitting... And it, it's not a restaurant anymore, and I want it so badly. I want. I wish I could buy it. Um, oh I know it's really beautiful. All the neon signs are still there, and it's, I think it's become kind of a landmark in Fall River. I'm speaking to
2: Cara Nicoletti. She's the author of *Voracious*, a hungry reader cooks her way through great books. It's the latest offering in our series *Bookmark*, the under the radar book club. Uh, Cara, you also talk about Brigham's. Sunday, mm-hmm. and you have a great <laughs> recipe
0: inspired by Brigham's Sunday. Talk about that if you would. Yeah, well, my, uh, we had a Brigham's right down the street from us in Wellesley growing up, and uh, it was every Tuesday night my um, mom and her twin sister would take my cousin Cam and I, um, and we would eat, I think I was in third grade and he was in fourth grade, and we would eat each of us an entire banana split, um, which thinking back on now, it's like unbelievable that we were. A, allowed to do that and B, like, physically able to do that. But um, I still think about those, the, their chocolate ice cream and their fudge sauce are just the best. And so I made a I made a chocolate sundae for Nancy Drew, um, her friend Bess. It's her favorite food is a double chocolate walnut sundae. Um, so when I was making the recipe, I tried to get it as close to that chocolate ice cream and that fudge sauce that we would have at Brigham's as I could. And it got pretty close. And you know, that's some good fudge sauce. <laughs> I know. It's really good. I don't know I don't know I I don't know what they do and that chocolate ice cream too, like there's something about the texture of it that's just perfect.
2: Well maybe you'll uh, figure that out and just uh um you know figure out the ice cream part, and then we'll have yeah. the Sunday part and the ice cream part, yeah. but you know, that's for later. <laughs> uh, one of the things that you do is you take, you're, you're looking at literary books and looking for the food references. But I was interested, I started thinking as I was reading your book, there are books for which the food is the main character. So I, of course, thought about soul food or mm-hmm. like water for chocolate. Mm-hmm. Now, is are those the kind of books that you would ever consider? Are you really more looking to books to just have a reference to the food.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting because like Water for Chocolate is one of the biggest people ask me to do th- something from that a lot. Um, and there's also this this book called The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake. Um, and as a rule, I don't know why I try to stay away from things that actually have food in their title because it feels a little bit too easy Um What is the
2: character, as I say. Yeah, Yeah. no, exactly.
0: (laughs) And when you think of it that way, it makes a lot of sense. Um, And, you know, it also – I have to have sort of an emotional connection. I have to have something to say about the book. Um, And Like Water for Chocolate, for some reason, like never really struck a chord with me. Um, But I do keep those in my back pocket and think about – doing them I'm trying to do something for the particular sadness of lemon cake right now um, just because lemons are coming into season but there are a lot of books like I, I would say Toni Morrison her food in her books really is sort of like a character but it's in a less obvious way when she talks about food it's really it's very powerful and same with Raul Dahl his food is is sort of a character in the book so um, definitely it, it plays into the books that I choose for some reason it's like something about the title I can't I can't get past uh, doing something more... the actual name of the food is in the title of the book. I don't know why. I get it.
2: Yeah. And certainly I can tell you, if you ever read Soul Food, you'll just be hungry the whole time. It's I know. I'm definitely going to read food. that.
0: I'm writing it down right now.
2: <laughs> well, here I have another suggestion for you. Elizabeth yeah. Alexander's book, mm-hmm. The Light of the World. Um, the it's a, a very poignant, actually quite sad story. Beautifully written, gotten great reviews. Uh, and she talks about her life with her husband, who is African, Eritrean exactly. Mm-hmm. His name is Fikre. Mm-hmm. And food is a big part of their lives, so she too has some recipes in as a remembrance to him. And oh, one cool. of my favorite is uh, favorites uh, spaghetti with a hundred onions. And in parentheses, she says, "Well, not really, but <laughs> <laughs> it's really good." Oh, I tried. That's like, it so it's a memoir. Or it's it's, it's a memoir. Oh, it's beautifully wow. written. I think you would love it. The and light um, of the world. Okay. And the light of the world. And there are many other. Get your Kleenex. It's a very. Sad. I know. Okay. <laughs> 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 uh, but other than that, uh, you, you I think it fits right into your whole mission and purpose oh, of trying to find these references that are really integral to the story, but yet awesome. not a character, if you will. Yeah. yeah. So I have to take issue with you about Pippi Longstocking. You didn't like her.
0: <laughs> no, I hated her. <laughs> I just cannot believe that. This is I where know. we part company. <laughs> I know. I think it's actually uh, a lot of people took issue with that. I think, I think Pippi is sort of a divisive character. People either really love her or hate her, and I... Hated her. I really did. She stressed me out, um, but it didn't stop me from making a recipe from the book. So, I guess I didn't really hate her that much. But even rereading it as an adult, I was like, I don't like this. I don't like her. Well, I think I think you're right that she
2: is a divisive character in children's books. But for me, I was a little brown girl growing up in the South, yeah. and because she was so different and yeah. made her own way, I appeal. She appealed to me from that her makes whole sense. life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So all all that is uh, Pippi Longstocking. I really related to, which can seem odd since this Swedish writer came up yeah.
0: with this kind of crazy character. <laughs> no, that but, does make sense. Yeah, and and I, I like it love your through that lens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so we do, however, come back together around Pride and Prejudice. Mm, yes. <laughs> I mean. Is there I mean, it just gets better and better. And then here you found a whole other dimension for me to enjoy about the book. Talk about your your feelings about Pride and Prejudice and and how it uh, it just is one of your favorites.
0: Yeah, well, I, I sort of dread when people ask me what my favorite book is, because um, it my favorite book is Pride and Prejudice. And it feels like such an obvious answer Um I I think in the book I say sort of like saying that Andy Warhol is your favorite artist or something like that. It just seems obvious. Um, but I, I've i reread it I mean probably 50 times, and it just gets better every single time. And I think that, you know, I'm obviously not alone in this. It's still one of the best-selling books of all time. Um, and you read it in 2015, and it's still hysterically funny and relatable. And I think part of the reason that Jane Austen has been so enduring is because she sort of writes in a way where she leaves out uh, specific details. So you're able to sort of imagine them in your head yourself. So you think you know very well what Elizabeth Bennet looks like, but actually there's not a very detailed description of it. You think you know what so-and-so's dress looks like, but there's not actually a description. And it's the same with food. They're always eating and sitting down to luncheons, but they never say specifically what they're eating. So... For B, that's both frustrating and also an opportunity to use my imagination and sort of dream up what they're eating. And there's one reference in the book to something called white soup. And I got kind of obsessed with figuring out what that is. And I finally did find what it was in like an 18th century cookery book. And it's, I tried making it exactly as it would have been. And I hated it. It was like jellied veal stock and blanched almonds and stuff like that and it was just gross so I used my imagination and I uh, I made it into a really creamy delicious white garlic soup with like 40 cloves of garlic in it um, and yeah it, it's much better than the than the original. <laughs> Well, Kara, I have to say it just leaped off the page. I I
2: think it probably has to do with the fact that I love the book as well, but it really sounds great, and I'm going to try that one.
0: Oh, I hope you will. (laughs) It's good. It is. I make it all the time. Um, Here's a question, and you
2: do mention books uh, that touch on other parts of the world that are, that are not, uh, because we the down and out in Paris and London, for example. Mm-hmm. But Americans now, the palette of Americans has expanded so much, it seems to me, it, just even in the last few years, very globally focused. They'll, they'll try more things. And uh, certainly when I was growing up uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, nobody was trying anything. And I'm yeah. wondering, are you looking toward like i don't know the man booker prize or something like that for your next inspiration so that the books are coming from other places in the world yeah uh, as opposed to american authors
0: yeah that's actually a question that i get asked a lot um and it made me realize how uh western my uh education was in in you know what we read because these books that i have a connection to a lot of times are what i was raised reading in schools and things like that but um Certainly, uh, there are tons of books from other places that I would love to explore. I mean, Marquez writes about food beautifully. Jumpalahari Lahari writes about food really beautifully. So that's something uh, that I've been asked a lot when I was on book tour, and it's something that I'm definitely um, going to pick up on the blog um, and try to explore more. Because I do think you're right. I think people's palates and, and their adventurousness of what they want to cook at home is definitely expanding, and it's something that people are open to. So I'm excited about that. I think it will be great. One last question. We're
2: entering the period of time of the year where everybody's voracious because it's (laughs) holiday eating. Um, What would you suggest uh, for our listeners to read and then, of course, maybe perhaps cook something from the book, some reference uh, for this time particularly that would be great?
0: Um, I'm, well, I'm thinking about what I'm reading right now, um, which is a book that just came out called The Witches. And it's not the Roald Dahl book. It's actually a nonfiction book about the Salem witch trials. Um, and it is so good. And it's, it's really perfect for this time of year because it's really sort of like spooky and cozy. And there's a lot of references to what, um, you know, the pilgrims were eating Um, and none of them sound particularly appealing but I think there are definitely things that you could um, adapt and make really really good lots of sort of um, ancient grain cakes and stuff like that Um, but it's a great book it's beautifully written it's called The Witches and it came out from Little Brown I think in October.
2: Well um, your book is beautifully written, too, and so enjoyable, and it definitely is an eat-the-page memoir. And just a fun fact for you, one of our other book club uh, offerings was uh, Nina McLaughlin's Hammerhead. Oh, I note, good. And I found out in the book that you and she knew each other back in the day. So Yeah, that's great. she's she's <laughs> very important to me. She's wonderful. That's a great book. So I feel connected to you in so many ways.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, me too now.
2: <laughs> All right. thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that's it for this edition of Under the Radar. Join us next week at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find our show and links to stories we discussed today on the web at wgbhnews.org slash UTR. I'm Callie Crossley. Our engineer is Doug Sugars. Catherine Whalen is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH.